الحمد لله احمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Indeed, all praise is due to Allah, and as such, we should praise Him, seek His help, seek refuge in Him from the evil which is within ourselves, and the evil which results from our deeds. For whomsoever Allah has guided, none can misguide, and whomsoever Allah has allowed to go astray, none can guide. And I have a witness that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah, and that Muhammad wasallam is the last messenger of Allah. This evening's presentation is on the seven habits of truly successful people. And the title of this presentation is taken from a well-known book by Stephen Covey called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book became very popular some years back and continues to be uh, a bestseller as it gives guidelines for success, particularly in this world, uh, for people who seek uh, the basic formula for a material success, it provides uh, guidelines. I thought it was good for us to reflect on the guidelines for spiritual success. As Muslims, our focus is not on this world, but on the world to come. And since this is the main focus, then, as Stephen Covey himself has said in what he refers to as his second habit, we should begin with the end in mind. And the hereafter being the goal, then we should have lives which reflect that goal. One should, in looking at a Muslim's life, be able to conclude that this person is not uh, addicted to this world, he or she is not caught up in the trappings of this world, but they are working for something beyond this world. So, success is not necessarily material success, because material success may be linked with failure in the life to come. In, in such a case, that material success is not considered success at all whereas another person may be considered a failure in this life, in that he or she did not achieve what was identified as material success. However, they attained paradise in the next. In that case, they really were successful in this life, because they had done what was necessary, what was required of them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to attain success, the ultimate success, in the next life, which is none other than paradise. So, they have lived, as the Prophet ﷺ had uh, taught us in a authentic hadith on the Sahih Muslim, at dunya sijnul mu'min, that this world is a prison for the believer, for jannatul kafir, and paradise for the disbeliever. So, as a believer, we restrict ourselves to what Allah has permitted, we avoid what He has forbidden. Because our goal 
is ultimately his pleasure. And if he is pleased with us, then we will attain that uh, greater goal for which we were put in this life. This life being merely a test. So, we seek the greater goal, but it doesn't mean that we also forget uh, the portion which has been set aside for us in this life. You know, as Allah said, وَابْتَغِي فِيمَا أَتَاكُ اللَّهِ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةِ وَلَا تَنْسَى نَصِيبَكَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا Take what Allah has given you uh, of the uh, next life, you know, for the next life. But don't forget your portion of this life. Most people tend to focus on the last part, that is, don't forget your portion of this life, and their whole life seems to be all about this life. But instead, we should seek the good of this world as well as the next. As Allah told us in Surah Baqarah, verse 201, رَبَّنَا أَتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنًا وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ Our Lord grants us the good in this world and in the next, and shield us from the hellfire. So, as Muslims, we need to focus on what is going to get us ultimately to paradise. Therefore, the truly successful people are those who attain paradise. And as such, uh, this presentation, this evening's presentation, is based around the lives of the companions of the Prophet Muhammad who were promised paradise by the Prophet in this life. There are ten well-known, known as the Ashra al-Mubashirin al-Jannah, they are well-known. However, there are a number of others who are also known by name, and others who are not known by name, about whom the Prophet ﷺ also said they would have paradise in the next life. Now, such a promise for most of us today would, co- would cause us to become lazy. A person knows that he is guaranteed paradise, you know, he would tend to lean back and relax and not make any effort. However, that promise which was given to those companions by the Prophet ﷺ did not make them spiritually lazy. Instead, they were urged to do greater righteous deeds. And they did not just depend on the promise of the Prophet Muhammad though his promise is true. And as an example, Abu Bakr, when he was on his deathbed and he was praying to Allah and asking Allah's forgiveness, he was reminded by those around him of the Prophet promise as he was among the ten who were promised paradise, uh, that group of ten. And he replied to them, those who were around him, who said that, uh, you already promised paradise, so why are you, you know, trying to, uh, so hard to pray and, you know, calling on Allah and seeking forgiveness so hard, you know, when you've already been promised paradise? His response was, even if one of my feet were in paradise, and the other outside of it, I would not feel secure from Allah's plan. So, this was uh, the approach of Abu Bakr and the remaining companions towards this promise. Now, we will begin to look at the characteristics and traits of the truly successful. The seven habits of truly successful people. The first habit is that one 
constantly corrects his or her beliefs and his or her understanding. That they are constantly in the process of seeking knowledge, improving their knowledge of the religion, and finding for themselves, finding for themselves the necessary information which would increase their certainty about the law and about Islam and about implementing the teachings within their lives so that they do reflect a firm and committed belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, such a person would seek to be among those who are knowledgeable. The ulama, to be an alim, one who knows about the religion. Because as Allah said in Surah Fatir, verse 28, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهِ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ Indeed, of Allah's servants, it is the scholars who truly fear Him. So, Muslims strive for this. Prophet ﷺ told each and every Muslim, طَلَبُ الْعِلْمِ فَرِيدَ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ Seeking knowledge is compulsory for every Muslim. So, each and every Muslim strives to gain that knowledge. Knowledge of Allah, knowledge of the deen, knowledge of its implementation, you know, which would then put them on that path to paradise. As the Prophet ﷺ had said, also in another authentic hadith, مَنْ سَلَكَ تَرِيقًا يَلْتَلِسُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا Whoever takes a path uh, on which he or she seeks knowledge, Allah makes the path to paradise easy for them. This is the promise of the Prophet. And when we look into the lives of the companions, we see among them Omar ibn al Khattab noted for his knowledge. Prophet on one occasion. Uh, in a hadith found in both Sahih Bukhari and Muslim, he related, while I was sleeping, I saw a cup of milk offered to me in my dream. I drank from it until its freshness was reflected through my fingernails. Then I gave the remainder to Omar ibn al-Khattab. When he related this dream to the people, they asked him, O Messenger of Allah, how do you interpret it? And he replied, it refers to knowledge. That cup was given to Umar ibn al-Khattab. And sure enough, Umar ibn al-Khattab was the one who gave the best advice as to what to do with the prisoners after the Battle of Badr. When the other companions were asked, they suggested leniency. That we should let these prisoners go, charge them, you know, ransom, etc. They are our relatives. Perhaps in doing this, it will soften their hearts and bring them close to Islam. Umar ibn al-Khattab said, no, we should kill every last one of them. Each one should be given his relative, and he should be responsible for killing that relative himself. Showing how he has cut his ties with uh, the disbelief, and these people, these are the leaders of the pagans and the disbelievers from Mecca, who had harmed the Muslims, tortured them, driven them out. They should be executed. And as it turned out, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Prophet, ﷺ, correcting him that he should not have taken ransom, 
but instead should have executed the prisoners. We also know on another occasion when the Prophet, when Omar ibn al-Khattab suggested to the Prophet that he should bail his wives, uh, Allah also revealed the verse, you know, not shortly thereafter, the verse unveiling was revealed. And we also find that uh, when we talk about seeking knowledge, of course, we're talking about seeking knowledge from the Quran and the Sunnah, you know, as Prophet informed us that this is what he is left behind, which we are to hold on to firmly if we are to never go astray. However, of course, in understanding the Quran and Sunnah, we must understand it in the same way as it was understood by the companions of the Prophet Muhammad Because merely saying that I am following the Quran and Sunnah, uh, that in fact, though it is the essence, if a person stops there, he may end up or she may end up uh, in the group of the Qadianis or the Ahmadis who also claim they follow Quran and Sunnah. Or certain extremist groups, you know, who have mysticism and beliefs in calling on the saints, etc., etc., they claim to also be following Quran and Sunnah. However, the, none of them understand the Quran and Sunnah as it was understood by the Sahaba or even the modern groups that we have amongst Muslims today who claim to be following Quran and Sunnah, you know, and they call to the slaughter of innocents, uh, suicide, the bombings, and all these kind of things, you know, they say they're following Quran and Sunnah. But it was not in the way that it was understood by those early generations, by the Sahaba and the Tabi'een, etc. So it's very important when we talk about seeking knowledge, which is obligatory on every Muslim, and which is a one among the keys to paradise, that one must take the knowledge uh, as it was understood by that early generation. And uh, furthermore, when we look at issues of knowledge, we realize that the goal of that knowledge is ultimately knowing Allah. And in knowing Allah, as he should be, understood and believed in, we will develop within ourselves taqwa, that is a consciousness of Allah. When one is aware of one's relationship with Allah as uh, it should be, then one becomes more and more conscious of Allah. And in being conscious of Allah, one develops uh, this quality which we refer to as taqwa. And taqwa is among the things which help us to get to paradise. As the Prophet was authentically reported to have said, the things which most warrant entrance into paradise are taqwa of Allah and good behavior. Taqwa being consciousness of Allah. And the things which most warrant entrance into hellfire, into the hellfire, are the mouths and the private parts. That is narrated by Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah. Authentic. So, uh, the strive to gain that knowledge for its practice, and in gaining that knowledge and implementing it, we develop this state of taqwa, which ultimately uh, can take us to paradise if Allah so wills, if it is in Allah's plan and a part of His mercy. Now, of course, uh, the, when we talk about the companions and knowledge, 
We can also find among them Sa'ad ibn Mu'az, who is also from his paradise and Prophet and he uh, was chosen to be the judge when the Qurayza clan was to be uh, judged because of their treachery when they uh, sided with the pagans against Muslims. Uh, and he made a very strong judgment against them, and the Prophet confirmed it as the judgment which Allah uh, above the heavens had chosen. And uh, in speaking about him, as I said, he's among those from his paradise. Uh, on one occasion, uh, when some uh, silk garments were sent to the Prophet and people touched it and marveled at how soft it was, he said to them, Do you admire the softness of this garment? Well, the handkerchief of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh in paradise is better than it. We also find Abdullah ibn Salam, the, who was a former Jewish rabbi and scholar from the Qaynuqa'ah clan who converted to Islam. He was also from his paradise. Uh, the second characteristic or trait is that of commitment, or we could call it emotional commitment. And one has an emotional commitment to that uh, belief in Allah and Islam. That it is not just something academic, something which we can write about, we may speak about, but it really isn't firmly in our hearts. When it becomes firmly embedded in our hearts, then it is emotion, we are emotionally tied to it, we are driven by it. And this is very important because uh, that, that the emotional commitment should follow the knowledge. Because if people become emotional commit, emotionally committed to things prior to the, them having correct knowledge about it, then it's very difficult for them to accept correct knowledge. And this is why people who are commonly involved in all kinds of traditional practices, you know, customary uh, garbage which is, is widespread amongst the Muslim nation today, which creates some of the worst and most evil images of Islam. And we consider things like uh, honor killing, which is common in places like Jordan and Pakistan, where people kill female members of their families because they fear that they will shame the family, etc. This is attributed to Islam. But in fact, this is an evil and uh, corrupt practice which has nothing to do with Islam at all. But this is custom. And if one tries to speak to Jordanians or Pakistanis who are involved in this stuff about it, it's very difficult for them to accept because they're emotionally committed to the practices of their culture. So, very important that this emotional commitment uh, takes place after knowledge, the knowledge base has been established. And what comes out of this emotional commitment, what we're really talking about is love. That we love Allah and His Messenger, you know, more than all else. That it's not just a thought. Our Muhammad has said, none of you truly believes until Allah and His Messenger becomes more beloved to Him than anything in this world. We've all heard that. But is it real? Is it real, is it real in our lives? When we look into the lives of the companions, we can see that kind of love manifest. The love of Allah and His Messenger. Uh, one example can be found 
In the case of a particular companion from the Ansar, whose name is not mentioned, but he was among those from his paradise. At any rate, he used to lead prayer in the Kuba Masjid. And uh, it was his practice that whenever he would recite a chapter from the Quran, he would always recite the whole of the Surah uh, Ikhlas, that is Ahad. Then he would recite the chapter. Those who were praying behind him, you know, became somewhat disturbed with this. They felt he shouldn't be doing this. Maybe it's not right. So they asked him, you know, that he should maybe desist from doing this. And he refused. So they went and complained to Prophet about him doing this. And uh, the Prophet called for him when he came. He asked him, what prevents you from doing what your companions have asked you? What has caused you to recite this chapter in every unit of prayer? The man replied, O Messenger of Allah, I really love it. The Prophet said, your love of it has put you in paradise. So here is the love for the word, word of Allah. The word of Allah, which is eternal, uncreated. This is a part of Allah. That love for it, like the love for Allah, if it is deeply embedded in the heart, the reward is none other than paradise. So, when we look, as I said, in the lives of the companions, we see this love manifest. And this love is something which develops out of uh, an awareness of Allah, awareness of the many uh, bounties that He has given us in, in our lives, uh, by being conscious of it and being thankful to Him, then this helps to develop the love. And this is why from the very uh, prayer of the Surah Fatiha, which we say in all of our daily prayers, uh, we can see in it that focus on thanking Allah, because it begins with Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. All praise and thanks are due to Allah, the Lord of all the worlds. And we find Prophet also saying, whoever does not thank people does not thank Allah, putting stress on this issue of thanking, thanking people, being thankful, you know, uh, that um, uh, he, Prophet you know, had said that we should look to those uh, below us and not to those above us because it helps us to remember Allah's favors so again we can be thankful. This all helps to breathe and develop love in the hearts of the believers. And that, that love for Allah which should be greater than all else. As Allah said in Surah Baqarah verse 165 And there are among some people, those who take partners besides Allah, whom they love as they love Allah, but the believers love Allah more than all else. So, this concept of loving Allah and its opposite, that of fearing Allah's displeasure, these are all uh, part and parcel of the same principle the two sides of the same coin. Loving Allah, fearing His displeasure. And the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, that the fire will not touch a person who cries out of the fear of Allah until milk returns to the breast. Again, he said, this is that fear for Allah's displeasure. 
Also, Prophet said, Two eyes have been forbidden to the fire, an eye which wept out the fear of Allah, and one which stayed open throughout the night, guarding Islam and his family from kufr. And also we find Prophet saying with regards to the seven who were shaded under Allah's throne, on the day when there's no shade, he mentioned one as being one whose eyes fills up with tears whenever he remembers Allah in private. So, this characteristic, you know, of being, of having a soft heart which trembles when it reflects on Allah, which causes tears to come to one's eyes when Allah's words are recited, when one reflects on Allah, you know, this is among the characteristics of the truly successful. That they fear Allah's displeasure, are moved to tears with regards to it, they love Allah more than all else. Now, developing this love is not necessarily something, uh, you know, it's not something we're born with, it is something which has to be worked on. We work on it on a number of different levels. We work on it first and foremost by developing our taqwa. Taqwa leads to the love of Allah. It is the inner dimension of obedience. And it has been identified as the source of knowledge about piety. And Allah tells us, Ittaqullah wa yu'allimukumullah. Fear Allah and Allah will teach you. That is Surah Baqarah verse 282. You fear Allah and Allah will teach you what you need to know. I mean, even if you have no great knowledge, what you need to know, Allah will teach you if you develop this taqwa. And as I said, it is the foundation for that love of Allah. Secondly, one should strive to increase one's knowledge by reading the Quran and the Sunnah. Because uh, when one does so, one is guided by Allah. Those who strive and struggle to gain this knowledge Allah promises to guide them, as Allah said, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا I will guide those who strive for my sake to my path. That's Surah Al-Anfamut, verse 69. Again, also, what helps to soften the heart and develop that love of Allah is to visit the graves and remember death. This uh, visiting of the grave is to remind us of this world it's a passing thing. It's not going to be a walk around. We're going to end up in the same place as the people in the grave are. So we need to back off uh, and give up our addiction to the material world. The fourth characteristic or, or principle is that we should seek forgiveness. Whenever we're involved in falling into sin, as we're human beings, it's going to happen. We should always turn back to Allah seeking His forgiveness critical. Fifthly, we should make uh, prayers sincere. By making prayers sincere, again, we develop that love of Allah. Abu Ayyub al-Ansari and related a man had asked the Prophet to teach him some brief words. And the, and the Prophet said to him, whenever you stand for prayer, pray a farewell prayer. Pray as if you are leaving this life. There's nothing else left for you. Don't say any words you will later regret, and don't wish for what others have. Pray a farewell prayer.
sincerity in prayer is very important for developing Allah. Sixthly, we should reduce laughter. It does, it's not, it's not against laughing. It's good for us to be happy, to be joyful, laugh with our children, our friends, etc., etc. But it shouldn't become a, a, a normal, uh, continual characteristic of ours. We're always, you know, joking and laughing about something. You know, so everything is just a big joke. Life becomes a big joke. No. This is not among the characteristics of the true believers. Bukhari quotes the Prophet as saying, "Don't laugh too much because excessive laugh kills the heart. It deadens the heart. We lose our seriousness for things. And we're normally serious with taking in a light-hearted manner, so our hearts become hardened. And of course, how then can we love Allah?" The Prophet also advised us, saying, O oh, people, cry. If you can't cry, then make yourself cry. The authentic hadith is reported in Sahih al-Targhib. You know, forcing oneself to cry. I mean, one might say this is kind of hypocritical. No. But, you know, if one's heart is hard, and one is not able to cry, then we just fake it. Make ourselves cry. Eventually, by doing it on a regular basis, or trying to do it often, the the reality of it will come to us. And of course, when I say do it on a regular basis, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, doing it in public places, in front of other people, you know, where uh, we may end up in Gria, you know, doing things, seeking the praise of others. The last major point is that we should pray for that love, and that humility, and that fear of Muhammad just to make the dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ilmin la yanfa'a, wa min qalbin la yakshah, wa min aynin la tadma'a, wa min dua'in la yustajab. O Allah, I seek refuge in you from knowledge of no benefit, from a heart devoid of fear, and from an eye without tears, and from unanswered supplication. This is uh, dua we should make often, uh, perhaps, inshallah, Allah will put in our hearts a softness which will allow us to cry when we should cry. Not crying over things that you really shouldn't be crying over. We watch a football game or we hear about our favorite team losing. This brings us to tears. Our eyes are filled with tears. But then when we hear the Quran, nothing happens. It's telling us there's something wrong in our lives here, you know. If these things have become so important to us, they're moving us to tears. The material things in the world around us bring us to tears left and right. But when we try to get close to Allah, when we pray, and we listen to, to the Quran, read the Quran, etc., we do not uh, find any tears coming to our eyes. This is telling us that we are far away, far away from the path. And uh, <coughs> the third characteristic or habit is that of having complete trust in Allah. We need to have complete trust in Allah if we want paradise. This is among the major characteristics. Allah said in the Quran, It is in Allah that those who trust should put their trust. 
ومن يتوكل على الله فهو حسبه and Allah is sufficient for whoever puts their trust in him so this issue of trusting in Allah is something strongly recommended and uh, we have the narration from the Prophet from the Sahih Muslim in which he mentioned a dream that he had had and he said the nations were presented before me and I saw a prophet with a small band of followers and another with only one or two people and yet another having no one with him when I saw a large group I thought it was my nation but I was told it was Moses and his people and I was told to look at the horizon where I saw a very great group and I was told this is your nation there are among them 70,000 persons who will enter paradise without any reckoning and without any punishment Prophet then went on to say there are those who do not make incantations themselves, nor do they ask that it be done for them, nor do they read bad omens into events, and they place their trust in their Lord. After saying this, one of the companions by the name of Akasha, Ibn Mahsan, he jumped up and said, O Messenger of Allah, pray to Allah that he make me one of them. The Prophet said, You are one of them. Then another man jumped up and asked, Oh, Messenger of Allah, pray to Allah and make me one of them also. Prophet turned to him and said, Akasha has beaten you to it. So, this idea of trusting in Allah, you know, uh, completely, and this doesn't mean that one gives up on utilizing the cause and effect uh, things of this life. And we just ignore them, we say, I'm trusting in Allah, I'm not going to try to do what is necessary for me to do at all. And in this case, you know, I want to get education, you know, uh, I want to go and learn Arabic, but I'm just going to stay at home, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm going to do, because if it is Allah's will, it's going to come to me. No, this is not tawakkul, this is tawakkul. You know, this is wrongly placing one's trust in Allah. The right placing is where we do everything we can, and then we leave the rest to Allah, as in the case of the well-known hadith, wherein the companion came into the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, and as he was about to sit down, he remembered that he hadn't tied up his camel. So he asked the Prophet ﷺ, should I go back and tie my camel, or should I trust in Allah? The Prophet ﷺ said, aqilha wa tawakkal. Tie it up, and then put your trust in Allah. This is the way uh, we put our trust in Allah after we've done everything in our power to do so. But in particular, the use of incantations, where people make recitations, etc., over the, those um, who request it, uh, the Prophet said, if one avoids this, I mean, though it is something recommended, he did it, and showing that it is permissible to do it, if one avoids it, then, uh, and puts one's trust completely in Allah, uh, then this is a promise of paradise from the Prophet Abu Dhar al-Rafid, on another occasion, he mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ has said, who will make a pledge for paradise? And Abu Dhar replied, yes. And he stretched out his hand. When he did, the Prophet ﷺ took his hand but placed a condition on it, saying that you will not ask anyone anything. And Abu Dhar said, yes. He accepted it. He added, 
and the Prophet said, even if your whip falls, you must dismount and pick it up yourself. One who puts one his, his, his or her complete trust in Allah, to that kind of a degree, Prophet has promised them paradise. Another companion by the name of Sauban, he was also promised paradise for the same reason. He even narrated that on one occasion Prophet said, Who will guarantee me that you will not ask anyone anything and I will guarantee you paradise? And uh, Sauban said, I will. And I never used to ask anyone anything. So, trusting in Allah. How do we develop this trust? Again, it's not something we're born with. something we work on, strive for, and inshallah Allah will give it to us. We develop trust by first and foremost having the correct belief and knowledge about Allah. If we know about Allah and how He relates to us, how He functions in our life, we have the correct picture, the correct image, then we can uh, develop the trust in Allah that we should have. For example, Allah tells us that perhaps you might dislike something which is good for you, and you may like something which is bad for you. Allah knows, and you don't know. This is Allah telling us really ultimately in our lives He knows best. So if we accept that, if we believe in it, Allah knows best, then we can put our trust in Allah. Also, if we reflect on Allah as being the just, He does not oppress anyone. As Allah said in Surah Kahf, verse 49, And your Lord will not oppress anyone. Knowing that means that one does not have to worry if it appears that one is being oppressed, etc., that Allah is going to straighten that all out. If not in this life, it will be in the next. Also, by knowing that uh, after every difficulty we are faced in life, is going to follow. This also helps to build our uh, trust in Allah. As Allah said, in the Muhammad with every difficulty comes ease. Surah al So, by knowing about Allah in this way, this helps to give us a foundation for trusting in Allah. Also, if we read from the examples of the lives of the early prophets, and Prophet Muhammad of course, first and foremost, and the lives of the righteous, mentioned in both the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the lives of the Sahaba, etc. When we read about the sacrifices and the struggles that they went through, and how they put their trust in Allah, this can help to motivate us. Similarly, as a third point, it is important that we be in the company of those known for their trust in Allah. Because if we surround ourselves with people who are not known for their trust in Allah, it's going to affect us. We weaken our own trust. So, when we're around people who are constantly putting their trust in Allah, this helps us to develop a trust in Allah uh, as He should be trusted in. A fourth major point is that of dua and istikhara, which taught us. That whenever we make a decision on a matter, we should pray two units of prayer and make the supplication, the supplication of dua and istikhara, which is basically a dua 
putting our trust in Allah. Because we are basically turning things over to Allah that you know best, what's best for us, and we don't know. So therefore, if this thing that we have chosen is best for us, then make it easy for us. If it's not, take it away from us, you know, and remove it, love of it from our hearts. So, this is about putting our trust in Allah. It's not about um, making this dua and going to sleep at night and waiting for a sign. We will say, you see a red light in your in your dream, it means you don't go ahead and do it. So, you see a green light, okay, go ahead. You know, there's no trust here. This is, this is, a, this is a fairy tale. So, we don't, we, this is not the way of the sunnah to do istikhara. That's why people say, don't do your istikhara during the daytime. You need to do it before you go to sleep at night. So, this is nonsense. Uh, I should also mention here that uh, there is a prayer called Salat al-Hajjah, which people uh, customarily pray, and there's a special dua uh, related uh, to it. This can be found in uh, this uh, common book used by the Jamaat al-Liq, Mazayli Amal, it's there. But the hadith is daif and not authentic at all and should not be used. There is no such thing as Salat al-Hajjah. Of course, if one turns to Allah in time of need, one makes prayers and calls on Allah, this is quite legitimate. But that particular prayer, which is well known as Salat al-Hajjah, this is not authentic. Now, the fourth characteristic or the fourth habit of the seven habits of the truly successful people is that of patience and perseverance. To be patiently persevering. This is a major and critical characteristic. So critical that Allah dedicated a chapter to it saying that by time everything or everyone is in a state of loss except those who believe and do righteous deeds, invite each other, remind each other to be truthful, and remind each other to be patient. That's the key. And, of course, when one realizes that this life is a test, then patience becomes even more critical. The Lord told us, الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْمَوْتُ وَالْحَيَاةَ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ created the law, who created death and life in order to test which of you will do or will do the best deeds. And he said in Surah Al-Baqarah, that was Surah Muk, verse 2, in Surah Al-Baqarah he said, وَلَنَبْنُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْصِمْ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنْفُسِ وَالْأَمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ I will test you with some fear, hunger, loss of wealth and life and fruit, the fruit of our labors. So give glad tidings to those who are patient. Patient. Something which we need to get as much as we can of, to control ourselves. Be patient. We continue to do what's right in spite of the uh, preponderance of evil around us. When everybody else is doing bad, we don't start to do bad. No, we do what's right regardless of the circumstance. Now, patience uh, can be in both times of difficulty as well as in times of ease. In times of difficulty, we have uh, from the lives of the companions of Prophet ﷺ, the case of Umm Zafar, uh, who uh, 
Ibn Abbas, when he was once asked, he once asked uh, his students, may I show you a woman of paradise? And when they said yes, Ibn Abbas said, this black woman came to Allah's messenger and said, I'm suffering from convulsions which knock me down and cause my body to become exposed. Would you pray to Allah for me? And the Prophet replied, In shitti, sabarti, walakil jannah. If you wish, you can, can be patient with it, and paradise will be yours. But if you wish, I can pray to Allah to cure you. She said, I will be patient. But I become exposed. So can you ask Allah that I not be exposed? And he prayed for her. So being patient with illness, sickness, pain, suffering, you know, being patient with it is also uh, a means of getting one towards to paradise. Because so, Prophet Muhammad said that every pain which the believer suffers is purification from sin. That's why when he used to visit the sick, those who were suffering in pain, etc., he would say to them, Tuhurun, insha'Allah, may this be a source of purification for you, Allah willing. So, uh, when we see people in pain, uh, we encourage them to realize the value of pain. Not that we, that we love pain and we go and seek it, but when it comes to us, we realize the, the value of it and we take full advantage of it. The Prophet when he passed by the parents of Ammar ibn Yasser, his father Yasser and his mother Sumeya, who were being tortured to death by the masters, he said to them, Isbiru al Yasir, Jannah. Be patient, family of Yasir, for your appointed place in time is paradise. Similarly, we find Prophet you know, promising people uh, for being patient with certain trials, uh, paradise. Like the person who Allah has lost their sight. Prophet said, whoever lost their sight, you know, that uh, they would be given paradise if they were patient. And it is if they were patient. We also find references to the Prophet promising that for, for people who lost children. Because he said three children, a person who loses three children in their youth. You know, he promised them paradise if the people were patient with it. And then somebody else asked, what about two kids? And he said, even for two. We also find the Prophet you know, describing those who had received punishment for major sins, like adultery. We have the companion by the name of Ma'iz, <coughs> Ma'iz ibn Malik and Aslami, who was stoned to death for adultery after confessing four times. And the Prophet said, I saw him rolling around in the rivers of paradise. And we also have the well-known uh, incident of the uh, woman from the tribe of Juhayna, known as Al-Ghamidiyya, who had committed adultery and gotten pregnant, and she went to the Prophet and asked him to purify her. And the Prophet tried to discourage her, etc., but she insisted, and he told her to go back and deliver your child, and then come back, and she did. He brought the child back, and after so many months, and then he said, you know, wean the child, feed the child for two years. And then if you wish, come back. And sure enough, she came back with the child after she had finished weaning the child and insisted on punishment. So the Prophet had her punished, uh, stoned to death. And afterwards, he 
had her prepared for burial, and then he stood up to pray for her. When he did so, Omar ibn al-Khattab asked, Are you going to pray for her when she was an adulteress? Prophet replied, She made such an repentance that if it were divided up among 70 of the people of Medina, it would have been more than enough for them to get to paradise. But you found the repentance better than her sacrifice of herself for the sake of Allah. This was clear uh, evidence of people who suffer the punishment and are patient with it. You know, they give themselves up or whatever. That uh, paradise can be there for the patient in dealing with their sins. <coughs> so, uh, Ibn al-Qaim, he has suggested, you know, three basic steps to develop patience in times of difficulty. He said, basically, one should reflect on the great reward that lies ahead. By reflecting on the reward, you know, to sort of detach yourself from the trial that you're in right, and right now, look beyond it to what is to come, and this will help us to rise above it. Also, the second point he suggested was to expect and hope for a time of ease. This hope in and of, of itself offers a measure of immediate relief. And the third principle is that one contemplates and counts Allah's uh, countless blessings, reflect on them. When a person realizes that Allah's blessings are so many in his life, too many to count, then the trial that he was, is in will seem to him to be something like a raindrop in a fast ocean of Allah's favor. And this will help him to be inshallah more patient. Now, uh, we have patience and righteousness also, which is even more difficult than to be patient in times of difficulty. Yes, that may sound a bit strange, but if you want to reflect on it, to be patient in times of difficulty, even the disbeliever can do this. Why? Because one can quickly realize that impatience is not going to change the situation of a calamity. Impatience is not going to change it. So you'll find even the disbeliever getting a hold of himself and saying, you know, I'm going to control myself, I'm going to get a hold of me. And he is patient with it, even though he doesn't even believe in Allah at all. Because impatience here was not going to bring us any measure of success. Whereas patience in the times of ease, the times, the patience in times of ease meaning that one is patiently doing what Allah has commanded, patience in worshiping Allah and following His commands, this is not easy because it is natural for human beings to be lazy, to not want to stick to all these regular prayers and fasting and all this kind of thing. One has to strive against one's desires to establish such practices. You know, also, <clears throat> patience in abstaining from wrong actions uh, is achieved through the fear of the punishment or through shyness before Allah for using His blessings to commit sin, the two ways. Of course, the higher and the greater level is through the shyness. We're going to look at that as being one of the characteristics of the righteous also. But fear of punishment is very good. One to reflect on the punishment as a means of helping one be patient in uh, 
times of ease. <clears throat> and also, uh, patience in accepting Allah's decree where things happen to us. We are patient with it. We know this is from Allah, no way out of it. It came from Allah, and Allah knows best, and there is good in it, even if we can't see it. Now, patience in worship, we can see that in the case of Bilal ibn Rabah, the Muadzin of the Prophet Prophet said to him on one occasion, Bilal, tell me about the deed you have done in Islam from which you hope to have the most benefit. For tonight, I have heard the sound of your sandals in front of me in paradise. Bilal replied, I haven't done any deed which I hope would be of special benefit except that whenever I make ritual purification, that is wudu, during the day or night, I pray as many units of prayer as Allah will. So, this practice which Bilal introduced, which is bidah, which was confirmed by the Prophet and which turned it into sunnah, that whenever he... Uh, <coughs> Whenever he made ablution, he used to make rakat. This is they call this the sunnah of ablution, of wudu. Uh, this was his regular practice. He stayed with it. As a result, Prophet spoke of him as being among the people of paradise. We also find an example on another occasion when the Prophet asked his companions, Who is fasting today? And Abu Bakr said, I am. Then he asked, who followed a funeral procession today? And Abu Bakr said, I did. And he asked, Who fed a poor person today? Abu Bakr said, I did that also. And he further went on to ask, And who visited a sick person today? And Abu Bakr said, I did. Rasulullah then said, Whenever these acts come together in a person, he will enter paradise. So this, having regular an established worship, a consistency, then there is no other reward except paradise where it becomes throughout that individual's life. And it is something, patience, when it comes to patience again, it's something which, as we mentioned, a person has to develop. And uh, one tries to the best of one's ability, and Allah will give it. As it is mentioned in the hadith of Sayyid ibn al-Khudri, Sayyid Bukhari, the Prophet said, May yatasabbar yusabbiruhu Allah. Whoever tries to be patient, Allah will grant him patience. So, we try to do and to develop patience by uh, doing regular acts of worship. This is a very important way, establishing sunnahs, etc., trying to be consistent. You know, as Prophet Salaman recommended, uh, <coughs> recommended it. And um, we have, for example, what Prophet Salaman said, when we recite the verse of the throne, Ayatul Kursi, or you should really call it the verse of the footstool, after every prayer, there will be no barrier between him and entering paradise except death. There will be no barrier between him and entering paradise except death. This is a great promise. 
Similarly, Hajj, Prophet promised, you know, the reward of paradise for it also. So, but of course, it's for those who do uh, Hajj as it should be done, as it was prescribed. <coughs> uh, furthermore, we find uh, Prophet saying to his companions, O people, spread the Islamic greetings, feed others, keep the ties of kinship, and pray at night while the people are sleeping, and you will enter paradise in peace. You will enter paradise in peace. We also have the Sunnah prayers in the day. Prophet has said, whoever prays 12 voluntary prayers uh, every day and night, he will have a house built for him in paradise. And they mentioned that there were the four before the war, two afterwards, uh, two after Maghrib, two after Isha, and two before Salat al-Fajr. So, consistency in worship is also a way to earn paradise, make that be uh, a habit as we do without even having to think about it. We're just going and doing it. But of course, we think about what we're doing. And then we have to think about should we do it or should we not do it because that is the stage where we're struggling with our soul, our nafs and nawama. But you know, when we reach the stage of having overcome that and having sought a lot of pleasure, you know, then uh, in such a case, the person will develop a consistent uh, a set of, of uh, principles of worship. Now, the fifth principle, or the fifth characteristic, is that of modesty. Osman ibn Hafan, among the Prophet's companions who were promised paradise, who was also married to two of the Prophet's daughters and became the third caliph of the Muslim nation after the Prophet's death, he was known for his modesty. We have examples of the Prophet's life in which uh, he demonstrated that. Uh, on one occasion, Prophet was sitting uh, in the home with his chin exposed. Abu Bakr asked for permission to come in. He came in and sat with the Prophet and they discussed it. And then Omar asked for permission. He came in and they conversed. The Prophet didn't move. But when Osman came in and asked permission to enter and, and to chat with the Prophet Prophet immediately got up and adjusted his clothes and then gave him permission to enter. When he left, Aisha asked the Prophet when Abu Bakr and Omar came in, you didn't do anything. You didn't adjust your clothing. But when you straightened them, when a man came in, Prophet said, shouldn't I be shy towards a man whom the angels are shy towards? Indeed, Osman is a very honest, I'm sorry, very modest. He's very modest. And I was afraid that if I permitted him to enter in this state, he would not have informed me of his need. So, he being among the people of paradise, uh, this was one of his major characteristics. It's something that we should strive for. But Allah Sallam had said in an authentic hadith found in Sunnah Tibriti, Al-Hayahu min al-Imani wal-Imanu fil Jannah. Modesty is a part of faith and faith leads to paradise. Reality. Uh, Western culture calls us to immodesty, calls us to expose what we have of our private, not to feel shy about anything. Shyness is some kind of a psychological problem, you know, whereas Islam promotes shyness. The very story of Adam and Eve calls to that. They cover themselves and they realize their nakedness. 
So modesty is a part of faith and linked to paradise. And uh, <clears throat> we can mention here also that Bhagavad was noted for his own bashfulness. And uh, he encouraged us not to be modest. Now, modesty is of two types. There's modesty which has to do with covering our aurat, our nakedness, you know, and there are principles related to it that we should observe. But then the greater level of modesty is modesty towards the law, where one feels shy to do something displeasing to Allah. Prophet Zalman said, Allahu ahakku ayin yustahya minhu minannas. Allah is more right that one be shy before him than people do. The principle that shyness should be strong, most strong before Allah. The uh, sixth principle is that of contentment. As the righteous promised paradise, those headed for paradise, they are people who are contented with this life. They were contented with, the, with what Allah had decreed for them. They didn't hold malice towards others around them. They didn't try to take what they had. They didn't have jealousy towards them. And uh, we know of a well-known hadith in which the Prophet uh, was sitting with his companions and told them, in the masjid, that a person would enter paradise one of, sorry, one of the people from the people of Paradise went to the masjid. And when they looked, they saw an Ansari uh, coming in, carrying his sandals in one hand and uh, water dripping from his beard. And he repeated that the second day, and the same person came in. On the third day, the same person also came in. And then uh, after that, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, he followed the man, stayed with him at, you know, for three days to try to figure out what he was doing. Uh, you know, he stayed up, he got up at night with him, didn't really see him doing anything special. Couldn't really find anything in practice which would indicate why Prophet would say and of the people of paradise. So finally he told him, you know, that uh, really uh, I wanted, I came to stay with you to find out why is it the Prophet had said this? You know, what is it about you that, uh, that you do? What is what, I can't see anything. And the man said, really, whatever you saw is what I do. However, I bear no malice towards any Muslim, nor do I feel any envy towards anyone for the good that Allah has granted them. And when he said that, Abdullah exclaimed, that's what has brought you to your special station, which we are incapable of. Now, this is the uh, characteristic of not having a, a desire and envy you know, for what others have, having contentment with what, with what what we are given. You know, and of course, Prophet Muhammad you know, had said, you know, Laysal and Rina and Kafratul Arab. Wealth is not measured in the quantity of one's property. Lakin al Rina Nafs. But really, uh, um, wealth is wealth of the soul, of contentment. And also, we should strive to uh, be content with what Allah has given us. Now, through, of course, more knowledge of Allah, etc., uh, being around those who are contented in their lifestyles, reading the Qur'an, reminding ourselves, being thankful to Allah for whatever we have, 
and striving uh, to do our best and trusting in Allah. The last principle, as time runs out on me, is that of sacrifice. Uh, the seventh habit of the truly successful. That their focus is on sacrificing what Allah has given them for the sake of Allah. <clears throat> and we can find in the Quran where Allah says, Indeed Allah has bought from the believers their lives and wealth for paradise. That is the exchange. Their lives and their wealth, and Allah pays them back with paradise. And so, when we look into the lives of the companions, we see this element of sacrifice, willingness to sacrifice everything they had for the sake of Allah and for paradise. Uh, just want to mention one example of the companion known as Abu al-Dahdah, you know, who on one occasion a man had come and complained to him about uh, his neighbor that he had a date palm tree which the man's wall was depending on, and he asked that the Prophet get it for him. And the Prophet told the man to give him the date palm tree and that he would get instead a tree in paradise. But the man was focused on this life, he said, no, no way, he wants his date palm tree. When Abu Dahdah had heard it, you know, he then uh, went to the man and offered to sell him his whole garden with palm trees and everything with a wall around it for that single tree. And the man readily agreed, of course. Then he went back to the Prophet and told him that he had bought the date palm tree in exchange for his garden. The Prophet said, give it to the man. And then when he gave it to him, the Prophet said, how many date palm shoots have been given to Abu Dahdah in paradise? And then when he went, of course, Abu Dahdah, then went to his wife and told her what happened. The Prophet had promised him paradise for it. And she said that was a profitable sale. So, the idea of sacrifice uh, is something which uh, each and every one of us should be prepared to make uh, for the sake of Allah in order to uh, earn for ourselves paradise. This is a critical habit amongst the habits and we should reflect on it as seriously as we reflect on any of the others. The jihad is the higher manifestation of it, and there are many, many examples that we can find from the sunnah, now speaking about the sacrifices which the companions made uh, for paradise. Uh, time has run out, I don't really have enough to go into any details, any more details with regards to these characteristics, I only can ask Allah to give us them. They are not the only characteristics, but they are major characteristics, and help us, give us the tawfiq to earn for ourselves with his grace and with his mercy, paradise.